You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. And good morning, everybody. It's always great to see you here and trust you had a great Thanksgiving. And uh, we had our whole family in, all the kids, all the grandkids. So we came to church to rest. (laughs) Can I get a witness anybody on that one? But anyway, it was a great time. But really quick, uh, we announced, I announced this last week, but just wanna say it because I know there's folks that weren't here last week. This week, we are shifting our giving platform. And so we uh, will be sending some emails and there'll be some communication coming to you if we have your information. And so, so far, all the transition is going well. And if you are in the world of software and technology, how many know that last week is critical? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So it looks like everything will be well, but if you have any troubles, uh, we would ask that you contact us. But whatever you do, don't give up. Please understand there's a little humor involved there. The giving platform, don't give up. Please understand that, right? All right, so anyway, today we're gonna wrap up this series called Piercing the Darkness based on the book of Romans. And we're gonna be reading a passage. This is the last uh, message on the series. Gonna go to Romans chapter 16. Rarely does it ever get preached on, but uh, we're gonna be looking at this chapter and what Paul has to say. And you will see, you're gonna, we're gonna read this and you're probably thinking, where's the message in this? How many know your pastor probably can get it there? Yeah. There we go. So everybody stand, if you would, for the reading of the word. And we're gonna go to Romans chapter 16. We'll be looking at just right now, we're just gonna read the first five verses for this, at this particular time. Let's begin. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Chantria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray as we look at the word that we see the message that you intend when you had this, uh, when you inspired Paul to write this. I pray that our minds Our hearts are open, and we ask this all in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you, be seated. So we only read five verses. There's a number of other verses, so I'm just gonna tell you on the front end. I'm actually gonna be preaching the whole chapter this morning. I heard that moan. So we're going to look at this particular chapter and it's a lot about relationships. And the reason I selected this passage is because in dark times in culture and our personal lives, that can heighten the importance of relationships that we have with other people. In other words, when we're hurting and we're in a dark time, a lot of times we look to people around us. We'll maybe reach out to them or 
We hope that they want to reach out to us when they know and they can see what's going on in our life. So we start to value and have an appreciation for relationships in our life. But one of the other elements that it relates to, key relationships that make a difference in our life, is this particular aspect. There are two elements for healthy relationships. It's called emotional intelligence and relational intelligence. If you haven't recognized by now, not everybody knows how to act in a relationship. And you know, what do I mean by emotional intelligence and relational intelligence? Emotional intelligence is the ability to read the room and know what emotions are appropriate and what emotions are not appropriate. It knows what to say and what not to say. And you know, there, we, some of you probably had relatives over at your house who probably lack what we call a filter, right? You know, you're just like, I don't understand why they have to implode every conversation. I don't understand. They're, they're like people who want to roll a grenade in the room just to see what happens. And you're just like, you know, can you, can you like curtail some of your comments? You know, just because you think it doesn't need, means it needs to be said. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Now, I didn't say you can name the relative. <laughs> but, you know, it's one of the emotional intelligence. And so, and then the other part of that is the relational intelligence. This ability to get along, not just emotionally, but knowing what a relationship needs and knowing what a relationship does not need. And so you start to recognize there's an intelligent, by the way, we all raise our kids with this. We're trying to help them grow in their emotional intelligence. We're all trying to help them grow in their relational intelligence. And some of you who have smaller children, when you go to the store, you're working on emotional intelligence. You know, you give them all the instructions. I don't need you going crazy. You know, and then, you know, maybe kids, you know, has a meltdown in the store, you know, and you're the one who walks away 15 feet and goes, I don't know who kid that is, but somebody, somebody needs to help this child. You know, I was just in the aisle and this kid walked in and, uh, you know, and you know, you're like, you can't do that. And you know, you're, you're talking about emotional intelligence. Like that's not the appropriate confines. That's not the, that's not the con and that's not how we express ourselves. That's all, that's all part of nurturing and growing. Okay. And then we also do the relational intelligence. Just how do you relate to people of various ages? How do you relate to men? How do you relate to women? How do you relate? You know, it's all that, that dynamic. Okay. So if you haven't discovered by now, getting saved doesn't solve that problem. Now, it's a great starting point to begin to address, but the Bible does more than talk to us about eternity. It talks about relationships, about how we should be getting along with one another, right? It tells us, uh, 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 the Bible has a lot to say about our tongue. So when we look at the, you say, what has this got to do with the passage we read? If you look at the, the, the passage we read, you'll, we, we need to see it through a different lens, okay? Because we're reading the book of, of when you're reading the book of, of Romans, you're, you're reading doctrine. Then you get to chapter 16, it's no longer doctrine. He's talking about relationships and you need to change your lens on how you're reading it because now Paul is telling us, let me tell you how I got where I am and let me credit the people that God has used in my life to get me where I am and to become what I, and so Paul shares those relational uh, uh, things that have helped him in his life. And if you look at it, 
through emotional intelligence and relational intelligence, you'll see that God has done a lot in Paul's life because prior to Christ, he didn't have that view of those people. You gotta remember, he was out killing people that he was now serving alongside of. He was killing them. So obviously there's something here that salvation wants to do in our relational skill set. We have to understand that Christianity is not just asking Jesus into my heart. It's asking Jesus to help me grow. It's called discipleship and grow in my relationships and how I talk and how I relate and how I get along with people. You know, we all have people around us and I say this, their personality is best dealt with in small doses. Some of you go, oh, I never thought of that. It's true. There are some personalities you can only handle in small doses. You just don't want to be that person. If you say, well, I don't know anybody like that. That's probably because it's you. <laughs> Notice how hesitant I said that. That's called relational intelligence. Yeah. So how do I, what, what does it look like in my life when Jesus starts to affect my emotional intelligence, my relational intelligence? How does he help me with the people that are in my sphere of influence? So we're gonna look at Paul and how he focuses on these relationships and what he has to say about them. But more importantly, that lens is, Paul writes a lot about Christian love. He uses the Greek word agape. What does agape love look like when we express it towards one another? I mean, you, sure, there's that, you know, you could say to somebody, I love you. But what does it look like, okay? How does it play out in life? And so we're going to break chapter 16 into four elements this morning, okay? So number one, everybody read this out loud. Love, love expresses itself through honor. Now, he says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Chantria. That word commend means to approve, to validate. So there obviously was a question about Phoebe and her role because it says later that she was a deacon. It's diaconess. It, mean, it was an office assigned by the church. And I'm gonna expand on that in a second. So she is a deacon in the church. Now, some of you are going, whoa, whoa, what? See, this is where we look for scriptures that already support our, the outcomes that we've decided we want. And now here's a scripture that doesn't agree with your outcome. Paul was putting women in positions of authority. I'll wait for the amens to die down. And notice what he says. He says, I commend to you. He says, I approve. I validate her. You see, this was a culture where women couldn't have authority. So when he let her have authority, the question is, is Paul for this? Does Paul know this? Is Phoebe like appointing herself? You know, is this, is this really a standard practice? Is this what Christianity is? And Paul says, I commend her to you. I know her and I approve. I validate her. And notice this. He also validates the office that she, she has in the church. Now, you got to appreciate this. This is a guy that 30 years prior never would have let that happen on his watch. Not in a million years. 
In fact, he was so dead set against it, he might actually try to figure out a way to kill you. Because in his mind, he's saving your soul before you make this great error. And so God has changed Paul's heart and now he's seeing something different. He honors her by saying, and, and by the way, what does the word deacon translate actually? See, it's diaconus. That's how you say it in the Greek. So we just borrow the phrase diaconus, say deacon. But in the Greek, it actually meant servant. A more literal translation was to wait on the tables. So deacons weren't people of authority to get other people to do things. They were people of authority who got things done. Ah, see how we've Americanized some of all this? We appoint deacons and we say, you know, now we want you to help us, you to get people. No, 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 no. They, help, they get things done by leading the example for the rest of the congregation. This is, we serve, this is how you're to serve because we're modeling how to serve. But in American culture, we've played with it and now we have people in positions of authority who in American culture don't serve. They can remember the last time it was about, you know, it was about 10 years ago when they served. And, and so we have to understand, like I said, the honor that he's saying here is, here's Phoebe, she's a deacon, and she gets stuff done. Wow, that's what authority is about. That's what love is about. And then he says this, in a way worthy of his people. Now I'm gonna say some things. It got dead quiet in the first service, so I'm assuming it's gonna get real quiet when I make my comments right now. So just tell your neighbor, say, hey, if you got a seatbelt, put it on right now. <laughs> All right, here it comes. Christianity has, is losing its edge in honor because we are following culture's definition of honor rather than the biblical example of honor. We're losing it. We're drifting because we think because we're one step better in the world of honoring than the world, we're good. And I'm here to say we ought to be 10 times better. Because if you haven't noticed by now, there is a cultural thing about leadership and it's this. You don't honor leaders in American culture. You criticize them. We never, listen, you had a Thanksgiving meal. I, I promise you, Hardly anybody sat around the table and talked about how great leaders are doing today. But I'm assuming there were a lot of people who were willing to offer their critique on what leaders ought to do better. And part of this is this. So let's, let's turn on the news channels. Let's say you have a news channel that decides to praise any, just a leader. You know what we do? We go, propaganda, turn. I'm not gonna listen to that propaganda. I wonder how much money they donated to that news channel. But let a news channel start critiquing and criticizing a leader you don't like. Buddy, you'll leave it there. You'll hit record because you want to watch it again and you'll lean in and you'll take notes. We have a culture that it's, it's more novel, it's more valued to criticize than to honor. And as followers of Christ, we got to realize we're getting sucked into something. That's not good. If you haven't noticed by now, there are no leaders who are perfect. Okay, that was like really weak. Did I just shock you that your leaders aren't perfect? I mean, was that a stunning moment for you? Okay, 
We're not, we're not passing over the flaws of leaders. It's called, let's balance this out, okay? Let's get some balance going on here. What does honor look like? So let me give you an example. One of the things that we use in our culture is titles to show that we are honoring people. You take your kids to school, you tell them to call the, the, the teacher, whether it be miss or missus or mister or whatever, you teach them to preface the title. Why? Because it's one of the ways you teach your kids to, to honor a teacher. You, you know, with our grandkids, they call me Papa G, okay? That's an honor, it's a title that they call them. It's their way of showing that there's an affectionate relationship. That it's, so I, and I honor them. So we do this all the time. It's just that we have divorced certain arenas of our life from it. Okay? So I'll give you an example. We have a pastoral team. It has men and it has women. I call all of them pastor. I say, Pastor Danielle. I say, Pastor Malik. I say, Pastor Lisa. I say, uh, uh, Pastor Austin. Why? Because they have earned that. They're not here because of some favoritism. They're not here because one has a closer relationship with me than others. Two of those guys are in their 20s. I'm somewhere around the age of this. <laughs> my two sons and my daughter are older than those two pastoral team members. I call them when I'm in their presence and when I'm in your presence, I say, Pastor Malik and Pastor Austin. Why? Because it's honor. If you want honor, then you need to give it. Now, some of you notice I call my wife Pastor Lisa and you go, well, that's creepy, that's weird. <laughs> Trust me, when we're at home, she does not call me Pastor Greg. And I don't call her Pastor Lisa, okay? But why do we do that in public? Because it's important for me to let you know that she's not there because she's my wife. She earned it. She earned that. And so that's why I validate her by referencing her that way. You see, we sometimes don't understand what honor looks like and how, see, that's the one thing I find. We don't know how to honor we all have our preference in the way we like to do it or should do it. And I'm just saying, listen, you notice the Bible gives us the example. Even the apostles would call Jesus rabbi, teacher. They were honoring him. Now I say that when I'm with, with, I'm a, with a political figure, whether I agree with them or not, I, if they're a senator, I call them Senator. If I'm with a, with a representative of the house, whether I agree with them or not, I call them representative. If I'm with one of our county supervisors and I'm in that, I say supervisor. I call them by their office. I am honoring them. Why? Because they've earned it. It doesn't say I voted for them. It doesn't say you did. But it's a position of just knowing that's who God has there. Now we are to honor. It's killing us in the Christian community that people th know we're Christians by how well we denigrate. That's not a witness. And you'll never find that in the scripture. That by how we denigrate people or we undervalue. You say, well, I'm not denigrating. But sometimes you can undervalue a person by how you speak to them. Does everybody got me? The military has it down. 
You know, other than being a private, when they call you private, they're not elevating you. They're letting you know your spot. <laughs> but why, do you, why, why does a private call a sergeant a sergeant? Because he's honoring him because he's saying, I honor your authority and your position and so on and so forth through the ranks. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're doing. That code of honor stays intact. Everybody with me? Okay, I'm just helping you to understand love expresses... It's the same way in a marriage. It's the same way with your kids. It's the same way with your grandkids. It's, listen, it's, it's a way of life. It's not just, well, I do it in this segment and this. No, it's, it's an outlook on life. If I'm at the hospital and there's a medical doctor, I say, doctor, I'm honoring them because of who they are and what they've accomplished. I don't go, hey, bud. Some of you go, oh, that's why they don't talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> I honor the medical staff. No matter, you know, whether it be my den, I'm, I'm, you, listen, honor is a way of life. It's not a channel that you have in your life. Well, I have the channel on, so I'll honor it. No, I'm, I'm honoring, period. That's the only channel I have. You, listen, if you want honor, you give it. Everybody said Amen. Number two, read us out loud. Love expresses itself through support and camaraderie. Now, I'm gonna read a lot of verses here, but what I want you to see is the adverbs and the adjectives that Paul uses to describe a host of people. He just, see, we get to reading it and we forget to change the lens when we get to chapter 16. And we need to see how Paul was validating people. So notice as he said, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. Do you see he said that they were equal with him? He said co-workers. Priscilla and Aquila did not say that they were co-workers. Paul said they were co-workers. He elevated them. He supported them. He said, they risked their lives for me. He's telling you why they qualify as a co-worker. What had happened? He said they risked their life. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. He's saying if you're a Gentile, whether you know them or not, you need to know the name Aquila and Priscilla. And that needs to be a name that if you ever run into them, you have an appreciation and an honor when you finally meet them, you need to know who they are. Because of them, if you are Gentiles, you are indebted to Aquila and Priscilla. Then he goes on to say, greet also the church that meets at their house. Hey, these are real people. They're not telling people what to do. They're doing it. How many know it's one thing to tell somebody, you need to open your house? How many know it's another thing to open your own? Yeah. You go to verse six. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Why was he being valued by Paul? Because he was the first convert in Asia. Everybody knows establishing a beachhead is the hardest thing to do. Getting that first person, that first convert. He says, then greet Mary who worked very hard for you. Does it say greet Mary, she's a hard worker? What does it say? She what? Very hard. How do you think it made Mary feel? The apostle Paul is telling my story. He's taking note of my work ethic. He's valuing my work ethic and he is telling people about my work ethic. 
Then you move on in verse seven. Greet Andronicus and Juniah, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. How many know that always forms a bond? You're gonna get whoever's, I tell you, if they're in the cell with you, how many know you're just gonna get bonded whether you like them or not? They, oh, how many know, what's the word they? Does they refer to two or more? Is it one or two? So they means more than one, correct? They are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. Wow, these are two people who had accepted Jesus before the apostle Paul. And Paul says this, Andronicus and Juniah are apostles. Everybody see that? Please say yes. yes. Juniah's female. I thought all the apostles were, see, you already made up your mind. You didn't study the scripture. You made up your mind. And now you have information that is in dissonance with what you had decided. Notice how quiet it got. That's because that's what dissonance does to you. It messes with you. And I'm gonna let it mess. <laughs> because I'm here to, con to, uh, to uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. I'll let you decide which camp you're in today. He says, and they were in Christ before I was. God used a husband and wife team to disciple Paul. And when he became an apostle, we don't know when, but they became apostles as well. Then he goes, greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Notice he doesn't say friend, he says dear friend. This is a, this is a friend I'm close to. See, it goes back to this. It, love expresses itself through support and camaraderie. He's not just giving you a list, he's telling you what they did. And those people go, he knows me. And he's telling people what I did. How many know that makes you feel valued? When somebody else tells somebody what you did in a positive light, it makes you feel valued. Please say amen to that. Sure it does. Then in verse nine, he says, greet Urbanus, our coworker in Christ and my dear friend Stasius. So what we have here is another coworker, not because that person said he was a coworker. Paul said he's a coworker. He's elevated him. Another, he says, a dear friend. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Paul says, I know this guy. You wouldn't believe what he went through. And he passed the test. It's one thing to do that. It's another for people to see that you did it and you did it well. Then in verse 11 or 12, he says, Greet a tri a, a, a Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women, wow, who worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend. Notice again, this hard work, dear friend, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. I wonder if Tryphena and Tryphosa said, you just said we worked hard, but you said she worked very hard. I wonder what, you just kind of got to wonder if anybody caught that. <laughs> this is cruel. Look at verse 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. You see, sometimes we can, if we're not careful, we forget that Paul was still a human being. He was not the perfect son of God. And Paul had emotional and relational needs. We do not know what happened with his mother. We don't know if his mom passed away early. We don't know if his uh, mother disowned him because of his conversion to Christ. 
We, we just don't know. We have, but the bottom line is he doesn't have a mom. And Rufus's mom stepped in and met an emotional need in Paul. And he said, I'm indebted. The lady's literally been a mom to me. See, we get this iconic view of the apostle Paul like he was a man's man and he didn't need anybody. And what you start to read in chapter 16 was, you know why Paul became the super apostle? Because he had a team. He had a team for his ministry, but he had a team for his personal life too. He was a regular human being who had needs, who wanted to be liked. When he wasn't in ministry, to have friends who were genuine friends, who weren't gonna question his faith, who weren't gonna pull him down. He just... He was a regular human being with human needs. And he says, let me tell you about the team that God has put in my life. And that's what's made me what I am. I am not this iconic guy. I've got coworkers. I've got hard workers. I've got people who treat me like family. And then in verse 17, he says, I urge you brothers and sisters, I'm sorry, I've got to go to number three. Here we go. Read number three with me. Love expresses itself by warning, warning about harm. So one of the things that we have to recognize is this. When you know that somebody's about to get hurt, you don't stand by and let it happen. You step in and you try to let them know you're going in a direction and I need to give you warning. Love says, I am not going to crash, let you crash and burn without telling you that it's in your horizon if you don't shift directions. Love says I'll risk the relationship, but I'm not gonna let you go the wrong way and not say something. Love says I'll risk it. I'll risk being cut off from you, but I'm going to tell you because I don't want to see you hurt. I don't wanna see you taken advantage of. I don't wanna see somebody who knows that you don't know and they wanna play on that. Notice what he says. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Well, then what do I do? Paul says, keep away from them. Does anybody need the Greek translation on that one? <laughs> Let me translate it. There are some places and some people you just can't be around. Period. But you can't, there's some places and people you can't be around. But you know, there are some places you can't be around and people you can't be around. You just can't. It's not that God can't keep you. It's that you can't keep you. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. When you have somebody in your life who doesn't have the right type of character and they know something that you don't know, you can get played. So Paul says, you gotta know some relationships, you don't fix them, you just never have them. Okay, I can tell this is going well. <laughs> Verse 19, everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but I, I want you to be wise about what is good 
and innocent about what is evil. Look at that, innocent about what is evil. There are some things that you should never know. I don't know how to cook meth. And I never want to learn. I'm never going to YouTube it. You know, I'm just not, I'm just not going to go there. I don't know how to shoot heroin. Not interested. I don't know how to do that stuff. That doesn't make me strong. Uh, uh, that doesn't make me weak. It makes me wise. Sometimes your innocence is your protection. There's some things you just go, don't want to know. Well, what? I don't want to know. If I don't know, I can't do it. See, ignorance is a protection and, and innocent about what is it. There are some things that you should never know. It's God's way of protecting you. And let me just say this, so I know I'm gonna tread on some thin ice here, but put on your second seatbelt. <laughs> See, this is what happened in our culture. Our culture has lost the value of innocent about what is evil. The number one value of any culture, whether it be American culture, it doesn't matter. Any, the number one value of any culture is protect the innocence of the young. Okay? Because you can destroy them by giving them things, knowledge about evil, and you can give it to them, and they don't have the emotional intelligence or maturity and the relational intelligence to navigate it. It will be destructive. But there's a, there's a push in our culture. Oh, no, kids need to learn. I'm saying, no, 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 no. You, your number one value is to protect their innocence. They don't have the emotional intelligence yet. They don't have the relational intelligence. They don't have the overall maturity. The answer is no. There's some things they don't need to know at this point. That's a value that any culture has, who has violated that has raised a generation that ended up very destructive in culture. It was always done with good intentions, but when it played out, it has always turned destructive. Love expresses it by giving a warning about that harm is on the way. The last point, number four, read it out loud. Love expresses itself by carrying messages of encouragement from one person to another. Earlier I said, it's about what you know firsthand and you validate somebody. You, you articulate why they mean so much. But here is a different take. It's what somebody else has said. And Paul is relaying that. Paul, Paul was doing Yelp before anybody even knew it existed. <laughs> Let me give you a recommendation. This is what I heard. This is what I know. He says, Timothy, my coworker, sends his greetings to you. Let's just take a pause there. He says, now he says, Timothy is his coworker. If you go back in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, Paul and Timothy had a fallen out. And now he's a coworker. Huh. Wow. And then he says, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipatar, my fellow Jews. So he starts naming people. He says, listen, these are people that you know, and they told me to send you greetings. So Paul is sending a message of encouragement, not because he's the one, he's, he's heard these messages and he's relaying it. He says, I, oh, by the way, 
If you haven't known, I brought this up in the first message on the series, but if you don't know, Paul dictated the book of Romans. He didn't write it, he dictated it. And Tertius is the one who wrote it. It says, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. You know, if you're gonna write the letter, how many know you ought to get your name in there somewhere? <laughs> but they obviously knew who he was. So he said, and here's, here's my greeting as well. And then you go to verse 23, he says, Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Paul says, hey, I just wanna let you know where I'm at. I'm with Gaius, I'm at his house. This guy's been gracious, he's been good. See, we like it when people relay messages about us. And it says, Erastus, who is the city's director of public works. And notice he could have just said, arrest this, our friend. But what does he do? He honors him by mentioning the position that he holds. And then he says, our brother Quartus sends you their greeting. So Paul is taking messages and he's relaying them to the church in Rome. He says, let me tell you about people here who know you that I've talked with and they have specifically said I should say something. So how does that translate to us? Throughout life, we often run into people who are giving a compliment about somebody else in their life. Let me give you a challenge. Make sure that compliment gets to the one who is, who is the topic of the conversation of the compliment. Nothing makes a person feel better than to have somebody come and say, hey, I was talking to somebody the other day and they, they mentioned your name. And you know, you always wanna go, and how did that go? They told me a story about how you did this. You were there. Watch the emotions on their faith, I, face. I, I could tell the story that they were telling me, they really believed it. Um, I wish you could have been there to hear how they told it. I know it affected me when they told me. I can only imagine how it would have affected you. But you know what? You need to know how people are talking about you behind your back. And this is what they're saying. And it's good. How many know that's a great day at that point for you? When you, somebody says, yeah, I heard a conversation in which you're, sometimes I have people come up to me and they'll go, hey, are you Pastor Greg? And I always respond with, who wants to know? I mean, I can get the message to them. I know them really well. I'll be glad to pass on the message to them. They go, no, are you the pastor? Yeah, I, I go, yeah, I'm the pastor. And they'll go, I wanna tell you something. I was in, they'll tell me some venue, some place. And they'll go, a member of your church, a person in your church. I know they go to the bridge because they've told me. And I always just kind of dismissed it. And then they did X, Y, Z for me. My family was in a crisis. We were this, the, we were down. I lost my job. The, and they go, and, and man, I don't know what you're telling your people to do, but keep telling them. And I go, look, I don't tell them what to do. I tell them to figure out what God wants them to do with situations that come to them. I try to teach them the difference of knowing, okay, we all know what the sinful urge is. Do you know what a divine urge is? It says, step in and help. Do something. Don't just let this go. Step up. Yeah. 
You need to know people talk about you. The little things that you do every day, they know where you go to church. It matters because it creates a storyline on the backside. They go, I know this person at your church and I know that one and I know what they did and they did this and they did that. And I always go, can I tell them? Yeah, please do. I say, I will, but I would never violate if this is a confidential thing you're telling me, I would never violate that. But if, if it, I would love for them to know how much that meant to you. And some of you in this place, I've come to you and I said, hey, I met somebody in the marketplace the other day who knows you. And you always go, please tell me it was a good, good thing. <laughs> it's always good. It's always good. I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Here's my homework assignment. I want you to find five people this week. That's one a day. Can you find five people that you have the power to honor and tell them why? Because honor has to have a story. They need to know why. It's, it's, it's easy. You just, you just go to somebody and you say, hey, I need to tell you something. I, I, I blew this off a while back and I shouldn't have. My pastor spoke on it and it just reminded me. And I need to tell you something because you made, you made a difference in my life or you made a difference in somebody in my family or you made a difference in a friend and they told me the story. I need to tell you this. And I shouldn't have sat on that story. I need to tell you. And make their day. You know what? I don't want to be known as a Christian who just has a different way of critiquing and criticizing. I want to be known as a follower of Christ who says, I like the way, I like being around him because he always has nice things to say. He always has good things. He'll never lie to you. He'll never make stuff up, but what he says is the truth. And you know what? I always, listen to me. I always want people to walk away when they talk to me that they felt better than when they initially spoke to me. I don't want to be the voice that rips people apart. And it, come on, if you can say amen to that, please do. And I hope that's your story today. Amen. Come on, let's wrap the service up. Let's stand to our feet this morning. And can you just praise him? Come on, lift your hands. I want you to praise him for being a God who has honored you. I didn't even preach this, but it says that we're co-heirs with Christ. He doesn't call us stepkids. He, called, he gave us, a, he says, co-heirs with Christ. Come on, praise him for that. The fact that he's honored you today. Bless him. Hallelujah. I'm gonna ask everyone now to bow their heads, honor this moment. It's a critical time because there's people who are toying with whether to accept Jesus. And you might be one of those who are thinking about, man, do I, am I gonna accept Jesus today? You know, it's, it's not my intent to do something that would put you on display or embarrass you or give you unwanted attention. That's not the goal. The goal here is this. I wanna help you to accept Christ if you recognize that you need to accept Jesus and you say, I do. In just a second, I will lead this congregation in prayer. If there are those who have a, will respond 
by letting me know that they want to accept Christ today. And we're going to ask you to do that just by lifting your hand. Now listen, when I see it, I'm just going to say, I see your hand. That's it. And at that point, I now know that I need to lead everybody in a prayer because there's people who will be accepting Christ when we say this prayer together. You say, that's me. I'm going to be asking Christ in my life when you lead us all in prayer. And here's my hand, pastor. Please do that. If that's you this morning, can I see your hand? Lift it up so I don't miss it, please. Don't, okay? Others, you say, I'm gonna be asking Christ into my life. Yes, okay? Anybody else? Come on, everybody together, let's say it out loud. Dear Jesus, I come to you, and today I take responsibility. No more blaming other people. Jesus, I am a sinner, and I cry out to you for mercy grace and forgiveness. I ask that you come into my life as my Lord and Savior. Today I begin my relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a praise. Can you do that? If you accepted Christ, I'm gonna give you two more things that you need to do in the addition to five. But two of them is gonna get wrapped up really quick. When we dismiss the service, people will be turning to the person on their left. Good to see you. Hey, you ready to go? You are to hijack that conversation and say, excuse me, I need to tell you something. And they're gonna say, what? And you're gonna say, I accepted Christ today. At that point, that person will know what to do, won't you people? And then after church, as you leave the doors outside, there's bags that say, follow Jesus. Take one of those with you. I'm gonna ask some of our connection group leaders and some of our church leadership, would they make their way? Every week, we know there's people who need specific prayer for things even unrelated to the message. And so as Pastor Malik leads the song, we'll sing, we'll give you a chance to come forward. If you need prayer for something, they're here. And then I'll dismiss the rest of the congregation once people have responded. But come on, let's lift our voice and sing as we give an opportunity for people to be prayed for. Come on, if you have a need, I want you to make your way. morning as I say the blessing and we will go. I bless you in the name of the Lord. May he bless you in this city and in this county. May the fruit of your womb and the crops of your land and all your livestock be blessed. May he bless the work of your hands at home, at work, at church, in this community. May he bless your coming and your going. May the Lord grant the enemies that rise up against you be defeated. When they come at you in one direction, let them flee from you in seven directions. May the Lord send a blessing on everything you put your hand to do.
May He continue to establish you as His holy people. May all people see you've been called by the name of the Lord. May the Lord grant you prosperity, opening up the heavens, the storehouse of His bounty. May He bless the work of your hands. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody gave a shout of amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great day. Take up the ground of all my tradition. Break down the wall of all my religion. Your way is better. Your way is better. Shake up the